and welcome to Live Vedanta, a podcast where we explore simple living and high thinking. Each week, we join Vivek Gupta as he offers insights on bringing the divine into the daily. Vivekji has experienced much of what the world has to offer, whether it is attending an elite business school or traveling to almost 50 countries. However, tired with the inconsistent and incomplete peace associated with these pursuits, he decided to turn his journey within. Over the last decade, Vivekji has shared his observations on the signs of independent joy with communities across North America and beyond. What is the connection between divine love and love for family and friends? How do we start? Vivekji guides us in this next episode of the Embracing Love series on how we can tune into the vision of divine love through sensitivity, tenderness, and acceptance. So let's tune in. think of an enlightened being, how do they look? Our instinct is for an enlightened being to be old, no? Which means none of us can be enlightened, correct? (laughs) The gauge for enlightenment is not how old you are. The gauge for enlightenment is how much you long for love. The longing for love is really a longing for oneness. In Vedanta, we call that mumukshutva, the one who wants to be free of two-ness, wants to be free of separation. All we do is for this love, which makes us think, why is there even separation? How did separation happen? How am I okay with separation continuing? And this is the need for a setukari. A setukari is someone who's broken away from a younger demographic, is not connected to an older demographic. There's a transition in responsibilities. One is floating. When a setukari is guided by chinmaya, meaning knowledge, vision, that I can be connected to both demographics, I can be connected to both sets of responsibilities, this becomes an opportunity to erase separation. This becomes an opportunity not to love oneness, but to experience oneness. Our Chinmaya Setukari class is very much connected to how Srimad Bhagavatam begins. 
One of the questions that forms the basis for Srimad Bhagavatam, what is the greatest good for all beings? It's a lovely question which nobody ever thinks about. We definitely don't have the answer. But what is the greatest good for all beings? Shaunaka Rishi asks this. And the answer given to him by Ugrashrava is bhakti. It is devotion. Now some of us could have inferred this. It's Srimad Bhagavatam. Obviously the answer is going to be bhakti. But then the next question would be, how do you initiate devotion? How do you become more of a bhakta? So Bhagavatam continues and says you have to begin with tirtha. Tirtha means going on a pilgrimage, a yatra. But a tirtha, a yatra, is only formed when there is mahat seva. And in simpler terms, it means being associated to those who are moving towards sat, those who are trying to be more noble, those who are trying to find the truth. If you go somewhere and don't do satsang, you can't call that a yatra then. It's just called a boring vacation. <laughs> it's the satsang that makes a vacation a yatra, and Mahat Seva becomes the trigger for Shraddha, faith. One cannot be devoted to any article being circumstance if faith is missing. So I'm coming back. What is the greatest good for all? Devotion. How to be devoted? Satsang. What does Satsang feel like? Faith. This is satsang. This course, this class, is to encourage faith. The text we're taking up this semester is Embracing Love. And this is actually an older Mananam book. Embracing Love. And the first section of Embracing Love is entitled, Love is... Dot, dot, dot. This is like a Jeopardy, <laughs> a Jeopardy category. <laughs> love is, and then people fill in the blanks. What is love? Now you're all thinking about Hathaway, correct? What is love? Is that what the, the song is? <laughs> and we started with our first article entitled Love is Joy. Love is Joy. This is the first article. And one of the main messages in this first article when you are joyous, when you are happy, you are no longer threatened by others' joy, by others being happy. That threat goes away. That jealousy is dismantled. In our day-to-day -day affairs, when we see people who are sad, there's no reaction. But when we see someone who's happy, hey, how come that person's happy? What's wrong with them? <laughs> We're threatened by it. The second article is entitled, Love, the Greatest Force. Love is the greatest force. And one of the main messages shared here is, once one gives love, that is given forever.
if you can take it back, that means it was never given. And shared differently, love is that which keeps growing. Keeps growing. These are really deep thoughts. Requires a lot of reflection to appreciate this. And this is only Article 2. <laughs> Imagine how the further articles are going to be. And then the third article we studied is, love is understanding. So love is joy, love is the greatest force, love is understanding. Two words that are used to describe love in this article is maitra or maitri and karuna. Maitri and karuna. Maitri you can interpret as kindness and karuna as compassion. So love is kindness and compassion. And there's a lovely play here. Kindness to oneself, compassion to others. But if one is not kind to themselves, they can never be compassionate with others. If one lacks this maitra, maitri and karuna, then what gets expressed is attachment and discrimination. I get attached to everything. And then I start to discriminate amongst everything. So these virtues are most important. We often confuse attachment with love when they're the opposites. They're not even closely related. We continue. The fourth article in this section is called Devotional Love by Swami Vivekananda. By Swami Vivekananda. And he shares, Love is how you use it. Love is how you use it. If you don't use love well, it becomes that love that is just a word. It's a love that ends. But if you use love well, it's not just a word. It's one's, it's one's vision. It keeps growing. So he's asking us to think about how we're using love. And particularly, when we use love for the highest, when we love the divine, this is called bhakti. So me loving a certain Netflix show, me loving a certain airlines, me loving a certain food, me loving a certain temperature for my coffee, that's not bhakti. Bhakti is only mutually exclusive when I love the divine. And when I do exhibit this love, all is a blessing. Love of the highest is the cause. The effect is, all is a blessing. Everything that happens to one, one interprets this, one feels this as a blessing. Imagine how our day and our life would change if every experience of mine I knew to be a blessing. Immediately, I would forget all reactions. Reactions of people to me, my own reactions. I wouldn't react. Immediately, I would forget all petty personalities. 
he said, she said, that person didn't say, that person didn't say, immediately I would forget all falls. In our journey, we're going to keep rising and falling and rising and falling, and sometimes we get stuck on the falling part. But if I love the highest, I keep looking up. I may have fallen, but that's not a focal point. I just keep moving higher. So how are you using love? If I reacted today, if I was focusing on personalities today, if I was focusing on negativity today, that shows that bhakti is a word for me. It's not my vision. Swami Vivekananda is trying to show us that we do love. We just don't have enough knowledge. So our love is moving laterally. It's moving around us instead of above us. And a very strong example of this is, suppose I died right now. In this moment, this body dies. Now you all know that I'm not just a body, I'm a mind, I'm an ego, I'm a spirit. If this body dies, will you commit, continue with this class? The people in this room, the people in this home, if this body dies, are they going to sleep in this room? We're not drawn to the body, we're drawn to life. It is the life in the body that we're interested in, that we want to be close to. It's not the body. Now, what do I love? I love a body, isn't it? I'm, in a, I'm attracted to that person. I'm lusty towards that person because they don't know about the life that actually makes that person. And with this knowledge, I stop caring how people look. I stop judging. I stop having those isms. Ageism, racism, sexism, etc., etc., etc. But only knowledge can, can show us that. And what's lovely about this message is we're all working for the same reason. We all love life. We are all working towards happiness. And when I know that, it becomes quite easy to be compassionate with others. But if I think that you're not on my team, you're working for a different reason, it's much harder to be compassionate then. Knowledge is powerful. And to complete this article, Swami Vivekananda brings up two words. <coughs> raga, let's start with Raga. In the chat room, please tell me what Raga means in English. What does Raga mean in English? Likes, likes, anyone want to add a different word? Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for someone who's sort of paying attention to bring in some musical <laughs> language right now. Yeah, yeah, raga. I know those. <laughs> so raga does mean likes. In a more deep sense, it means attachment. Now my next question is, what is the temporary antidote to the disease of raga. What is, if raga is a disease, if attachment is a disease, 
What is the antidote? <laughs> Do your job. Play football. <laughs> it sounds like raga, but there's a prefix, prefix before it. Come on, you know this. Vairagya. Vairagya. Raga's attachment, vairagya, or viraga, is independence. Now you heard me say this is temporary, no? What do you think the long-term, the forever antidote is to raga? Anuraga, that's right. Anuraga. Anuraga means love, but love of the highest. Then now I'll share this with you in a visualization. Raga is Shurpanaka. Raga is Shurpanaka. She's someone who's attached. So now how is she stopped temporarily? Vairagya. And who's that? Sri Lakshmana. He comes with his sword and he cuts off her ears and nose. But it's temporary because she's still alive. She still goes back to Ravana. And who becomes the permanent solution to end Shurpanaka and all of the Rakshasas? Bhagavan Rama, who is Anuraga. A lot of practicality to love. You all caught that visualization? This knowledge is amazing. When you know that these personalities have such an elevated presence and an inward presence, these scriptures, they come to life like, like a 3D printer. <laughs> like I saw a 3D printer recently and my mind was blown. <laughs> so that's what studying the scriptures is like. The next article is entitled... The Way of the Heart. This is article number five, and this begins a new section of the text. What was the first section of the text called? Put it in the chat room without looking at your text. What was the whole first section of the text called? Anuraga. <laughs> Shurpanaka? Love is, yes. Love is is the first part. Now the second part is called Tuning into Love. Tuning into love. And this is lovely. Now that I know what love is intellectually, I have to tune into this. I have to make this my experience. The fifth article is called The Way of the Heart by Jean Vanier. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce these names. <laughs> That's why Sanskrit is better. It's all phonetical. There's no silent letters, right? It says Jean, but it can be Jean. How am I supposed to know that right now? And now, you know, I want to say so she says, but it could be so he says. <laughs> what the author says, the author says, you cannot possess reality. You cannot change reality. Okay, to be understood sequentially. You cannot possess reality. You cannot change reality. And the reason for that is 
Who possesses reality? All is God's. All is God's. Everything in your room is God's. You are God. So all is God's. And why can't we change reality? Because all is God. So all is God's. All is God. That's reality. With this insight, I stop becoming possessive. Immediately, possessiveness ends. And that's a very real emotion for many of us as we get into relationships is possessiveness. Correct? And possessiveness is described as a prison. We put someone else in a prison, but who have we actually put into that prison? I put myself into that prison through this possessiveness. But when someone knows all is God's, all is God, one becomes tender. The word used in the article is tender. A more common word we would use is sensitive. And the author is specifically highlighting tenderness physically. And the author shares that she, he has learned this from those with special needs. These Mananam books are lovely because you receive so many perspectives. Has learned this from those with special needs. Now I'll bring a a personal example here before I continue with this thought. We see people with special needs. Now, I want you to rewind 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. When you saw someone with special needs in your high school, in your college, tell me what emotion actually came in your mind, in your heart. What emotion came up? Sad, pity, curiosity, sympathy. Sympathy meaning there's a sense of difference. Yes, correct. For me, it would be pity in the sense that I'm happy that I presently don't have any special needs. As I studied Vedanta more, as I internalized this more, I realized that the purpose of life is not to run fast, to have hand-eye coordination, The purpose of life is not to calculate well, to speak intelligently. The purpose of life is to be happy. Now, if someone with special needs can't run as fast or can't calculate as well, that does not stop them from being happier. So when we define special needs, see how external it is. But if you align yourself with the purpose of love, someone with special needs is someone who's ignorant. They need more help to know their nature. So I really appreciated how the teacher in this text, in this article, was those with special needs. The author shares that when one is tender, when one is sensitive with using their body, they can heal others. They can help others. You've all felt (coughs) very moved when someone, you weren't expecting a hug from someone and someone just came and gave you a hug. Did it it heal you in that moment? Did it help you in that moment? When someone holds your hand? Yeah. I know this with with our infant, that you find so much 
you find so much homeliness in just being held, you know, on my shoulders. I know this in times when Guruji has held my own hand. And it's been in the most strange circumstances where he would say, now you have to go and, and get your boarding pass from this gate. <laughs> and why that's so funny is because, you know, I, I've traveled a lot. I know what I'm supposed to do after I get into an airport. But he consciously took my hand and kind of pointed me in that direction. It's much deeper than, than just him holding my hand. Now imagine if someone's body language can do that. When there's tenderness and sensitivity and purity in one's mind, how transformative that can be for serving others. That purity of mind. I've shared with all of you in higher Vedanta, more important than what is said is who is saying. In higher Vedanta, it is the purity of the Guru that makes the Shishya understand. So here that's all being narrated. When one is able to give their own body and mind to another person, they don't need to give stuff. Our culture is very much about giving stuff, isn't it? It's my birthday, give me stuff. I graduated from high school, have a party for me. <laughs> and when I say culture here, I must use the descriptive word of American culture. <laughs> In Canada, when you graduate from high school, you get a summer job and then you go to university. There's no open house, there's no celebration. You're expected to graduate from high school. <laughs> Why is there an open house where you should give me stuff because I finished what I'm supposed to be doing? I finished dinner. All of you should do aarti to me. <laughs> I'm expected to finish dinner and not waste food. This idea of giving stuff. See, when I keep focusing on giving stuff and getting stuff, I stop giving my body, isn't it? I stop purifying my mind. So subtly we get into these conditionings. And the author even gives a reason of why we don't give ourselves. Because we hide. We hide what we need from ourselves and others. What is it that we all need the most? Independent joy. If someone asked you that on the street, if you were applying for a job and they wrote, what do you need? What are you going to write? Are you going to write independent joy? <laughs> I hope so. I would hire you. <laughs> I would hire you into my spectrum of unemployment. <laughs> we, we hide is one reason. We're too weak to admit. We're too weak to admit that we're like this, to open ourselves up. And we're too tired. How many of you are physically tired right now? <laughs> When you're physically, when you lack energy, then mentally you lack enthusiasm. And intellectually or spiritually, one lacks enlightenment then. So if I don't have energy, how am I going to be enthusiastic in being open with you? There's never, that will never be the way of the heart. It'll be only the way of transactions. And we'll go quickly through the last article this is actually out of the, the three I found to be the most moving. 
And so I'll share more thoughts next month also. This article is called Finishing Business by Stephen Levine. Stephen Levine. What's good about the internet or other devices where there's a certain word and you can go to dictionary.com and it'll pronounce it for you. But how do you do that with names? Someone should create a website like that. <laughs> I think I told you. Recently someone pronounced my name Vivek. <laughs> and I was laughing so hard in my head that I didn't even correct that person. I was just enjoying <laughs> being described as Vivek. <laughs> so the article begins by encouraging us to visualize, visualize ourselves in the ER. So we're in an emergency room where this emergency will find its closure and one will die in this room. In that room when there's people who love you, people who want to be with you in that room, we have to finish business with them. There has to be closure, there has to be closeness. Because in that moment, there will not be the energy to get into a long recount of history, right? One's probably not physically well if you're in an emergency room. There's not going to be the time, that's for sure. There's not going to be the trust either. There's no opportunity to build trust in that experience. And one may not even have the confidence to really open oneself up. One will just have to do it. You can't build up that confidence. You just have to do it because it's your last chance to visualize all of that. And in this visualization, we have to let go of what we want from others. We always talk about letting go of what we want. And letting go of what we want, we tend to materialize. Let go of a want for a new car. Let go of a want for a promotion. Here it's letting go of what we want from others. And a very distinct message that is shared here. You know, parents want their children to be in a certain way. But in this article, what is written is that children want their parents to be in a certain way. As our parents get older, some of their behaviors which didn't annoy us then, now annoy us, no? How is that evolution? That's uh, us, me devolving then, isn't it? That all of us and I become the model and my parents should walk like me and eat like me and shouldn't make noise when they're, <laughs> when they're licking their hands after eating yogurt and, and sambar. Just go to the bathroom. <laughs> that, see how much of that want we have from others. And it, this is not even, I want to want from them. I just want them to be like me. How can there be any openness in that? There is only manipulation when we want something from others, when we want others to be in a certain way. Love is being. So Vedantic, isn't it? That's what we aspire for. The, the last verb is to just be. Love is being. And if you're being, 
The way that we accept ourselves, we will accept others we will not want from them. We will want not want them to be in a certain way. We're being them now. And we do that with nature. Right now there's a windstorm outside. There may be some where you are too. You know, we're not sitting here, stupid wind. Why is it like that? We should change it. <laughs> the wind is being, and we have f- full acceptance of that. To try to do the same with others through love. And the visualization given is, imagine, how many of you have ever engaged in a tug of war? It's a really fun activity at a Mother's Day or Father's Day picnic, is a tug of war. And, uh, and understanding marriage retreats, they're good over there also. <laughs> so you have these two parties that are pulling so hard on this rope. And there's so much tension in this rope. And how do you release that tension? One person just has to let go. That I don't want you to be like this. Now, I know you're laughing. Don't think of the visualization. You let go and everyone gets hurt on that, on that side. <laughs> think philosophy. <laughs> but someone has to let go, right? And the way Guruji shared this with us, he said if, We just learn to say that we're sorry that so much of conflict would be prevented or dissolved just by saying, I'm sorry. If you enjoyed what you heard or want to learn more, share this episode with a friend or find us online at facebook.com slash cmniagara. For those on the journey of self-development, Chinmay Mission Niagara provides a community forum for seekers to listen, reflect, and contemplate. This podcast is produced by the Young Adults of Chinmay Mission, an international nonprofit working to transform individuals through the knowledge of Vedanta. Until next time, inspire, love, be.